Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. What's up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday edition of the Rebel Report. A lot to get to today. Baseball, the regular season is over. Ole Miss dropped 2-3 or three at Tennessee, snapped a six-game losing skid with a win on Saturday. Uh, softball team won a regional in fairly dramatic fashion, I would say. I was at that yesterday. Uh, we got the SEC tournament beginning tomorrow. I'm headed to Hoover shortly after this recording. Colin will be at Hoover as well. Uh, so a lot going on. We'll be on the road for most of this week. We'll more than likely still have the regular shows. I don't see how that, how that would change anything. But Colin, what's up? Not much, not much. It was definitely a uh, a long weekend of Ole Miss sports, to put it lightly. Yeah, and I felt like out of pockets. I had a wedding in Memphis, and so I went. Uh, I was pretty much unplugged from Friday, like Friday night and Saturday on. Uh, so I felt like I missed a bunch, but kind of tried to catch back up as best I could. Yesterday, got back for softball. Um, did not anticipate spending eight hours at the softball facility, but you know, <laughs> I guess just that's how these things, how these things go. Um, so I guess we'll start softball or baseball. I don't really care. We can go either uh, way. Let's just keep it on the pace. We do we do baseball first always. Let's just start there. So Ole Miss drops two of three to Tennessee. Um, you know you went into it even with the baffling. You didn't really think they still had a hosting chance with the with the way they were playing after the uh, Arkansas State loss. But like mathematically, it was still feasible if they won two or three. Obviously, that did not happen. Um. Pretty much. I mean, we already discussed it on Friday's show, the Thursday game. I mean, they just got blanked by Garrett Stallings. It's fairly lethargic. I thought the performance was better on Friday, but the results not necessarily. The bullpen kind of caved again. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of just the story now. The bullpen, I don't, I don't know what you do with it. Um, Parker Crace, was bad, and Ole Miss was at some point trying to get two innings out of him, and he hasn't been able to record out lately. Um, they yanked Austin Miller from the game for a matchup with Caleb Hill, um, who hasn't pitched a meaningful inning maybe this year. That's about uh, to change, I got a feeling, because it already has to some degree. He pitched Saturday as well, did he not? No, no, he didn't pitch Saturday, I don't think. I, I, I could be wrong there, because I, I, I didn't really watch a ton on Saturday, but I don't remember him coming in. Um, Connor Green came in for the first time in a while, but, you know, it was it, it was that, that's the perfect uh, recap of Friday is the bullpen was bad again, and that's why they lost because the offense was a lot better on Friday. They put up five runs. They, uh, they, you know, performed on Friday. Now they got thrown out of the bases three times, which is not good. But, you know, outside of that, I mean, the offense gave you what you needed, and the bullpen just couldn't hold on to a, on to a lead against the Tennessee team that's horrible. And you saw some major lineup like const- I don't want to say construct. Like it was constructed differently on Friday. You had Dillard batting leadoff. Um, Zabowski still remained in the six hole, but you had Tim Elko and Chase Cockrell playing a game together. Which I- I'm not going to say it's the first time all year because there's a chance that sounds like a very February lineup. But that's the first time in a long time. Right. No, they've done that this year where uh, Car- Elko would be in right field and Elko would- or Elko would be in right field and Cockrell would be at DH. But no, both of those guys were in the field. Uh, which, I'll be honest, was impressive to, to figure out a way to get both of those guys into the field. Um, but they did it. And, that is not uh, a fast outfield. Uh, well, Elko played first. But, uh, 
you know, it was it. They just wanted right-handed hitters against the lefty, and I don't think I think Elko had a walk, but outside of that, that neither of those guys really did anything. Um, Look, I get him trying different stuff at this point. I really do. Like, I'm not gonna like sit here and, like fault him or crush him for that. But man, it seems like both those ships have sailed, particularly Cockrell. It does seem like that. But what are your other options? Like, I mean, you're gonna play Kevin Graham at first base against the lefty. He's not gonna hit against the lefty all year. I mean, there's not really a. Well, I think I agree that both those guys are not gonna be able to produce this year. Um, your other options aren't exactly, you know, top of the line either. No, and I guess they're having to do that because Laposter's not available. Right. And Laposter, frankly, hasn't hit lefties as well as people think this year. Um, no, but if he's healthy, you're not playing Elko and Cockrell together more than likely? Probably not, no. Um, because Mike has made up in his mind that he can hit lefties. And, I mean, he probably does a little bit better than uh, Cockrell or Elko. But, I mean, it was... It was a scarce bottom of the lineup. Top of the lineup produced outside of getting thrown out on the bases. Dude went four for five. Yeah, he did. Greatest leadoff hitter in uh, program history. Uh, Is that backed up by statistics? Is his 800 batting average just reflective of that? I mean, I was just saying, he went one for four with a double the next day. You find find me a leadoff hitter hitting over 500 for their career. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah. Top of the, I mean, I guess the top of the lineup was okay, but then the, in that Friday game, you had what? You had Kessinger, Keenan, and Cooper Johnson all, I mean, and if you want to throw Zabowski in there, they had a combined one hit. Oof. I don't know how they scored five runs. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I was at the softball game, I didn't watch a ton, but they scored five runs, and I don't think Cockrell, Elko, and, and Bench produced a whole bunch. They did not um, get. It, look, Kevin Graham had an RBI in a pinch hit situation. Okay. Kessinger, yeah. Keenan, and Cooper Johnson. No, that's Cooper Johnson had three walks. So I'm, I'm kind of looking at the stat feed. I didn't watch a ton of this either, just because I had some other stuff going on. But like it, it, I don't know what you do about the bullpen. I mean, on Friday they threw Roth, Myers, Miller, Hill, and Caracy. Like who else are you gonna throw? That's that's pretty much it. Um, I thought Roth was good from what I saw. Um, Miller, I don't know what his stat line was, but he looked like he was back to normal. I don't know what's wrong with Crazy. Pitched two thirds of an inning, allowed a run without a hit, but Miller walked three, so could not throw the ball in the strike zone. Hey, never mind. I didn't, as I said, I was at softball, so maybe I was just incorrect. He walked three in two thirds of an inning. Whew. Um, yeah, and then Caleb Hill comes in, and he's not able to throw strikes. Hits a guy that's trying to get out, and then Crazy just comes in, and, and the poor kid, it's just not, not happening for him right now. So is it? Just, I mean, it's. I guess it's just as simple as fastballs down a little bit in velocity, not as much life, and then just no confidence in the secondary stuff. And when you're like a one-trick pony like that, and like it, that one trick has kind of lost its luster, you're probably in trouble. What was funny was he was actually throwing his breaking ball for strikes on Friday, um, but he throws a wild pitch that allows a run to come in, and I think at that point he just loses all confidence. He's not able to throw fastballs for strikes. Um, he winds up walking in a guy. I mean, it was, it was, it was not fun to watch. Nikhazy was not good either, and that's really kind of the uh, first time in a while he hasn't been like even at, like there were outings at LSU where like he didn't have it, but he put together a really productive outing. This is the right. first time in a while he really just hasn't had it. Well, see, I don't think he necessarily had good stuff against Mississippi State. So what I would wor- worry about is while he the numbers were okay, that's three in a row. 
Yeah, that's that's what I'd start to worry about. Is look, the kid's always going to go out there and compete his tail off. Um, but that's kind of three starts in a row where he's not had really good stuff. And you kind of worry going into postseason, is that a thing? Yeah, and they can't. They really they can't afford for that to be a thing. Like he's got to be good because, like, I mean, look, Etheridge is going to give you probably six, seven innings, like six innings each time. You know, give up a couple runs. Like Etheridge is a good pitcher. Friday night, like in comparison to everyone else on Friday nights, it, it, it's probably very run of the mill. And so, like, if Nikhazy's not good, there's really no teeth to that. No, no, and you know, I think Nikhazy's probably fine. I'm just saying, there's three starts in a row where he's probably not had. A plus stuff after you know the really good outing against A and M, and it it was masked a little bit against LSU and Mississippi State because he kind of battled through it and put together you know a productive performance. This time, not so much. But yeah, to your point, if it's that's three bad outings stuff wise in a row, that's definitely a cause of concern. Yeah, and that makes me wonder if you just I mean you throw him on Friday, why not just hold off this week with really not much to play for and let him get his normal rest? There's, I don't think he's the guy you rush back. Uh, for a meaningless Wednesday game if they went on Tuesday. Yeah, so I guess we'll just get right to it because the Tennessee series kind of was what it was. They didn't, uh, they'd gotten swept this, uh, I mean, not really, but this, this Tuesday game against Missouri might be, be a little uh, interesting. They needed to win a game, and, and they're, they're 100% in now. I think they were really, really safe before that. I guess we do need to mention Rhino winning close to game on Saturday. Yeah, and he was really good, and he was really locked. Like he was like intensely locked in. And the thing is, yeah. is like it's, it's this weird balance that I think people are like, "Oh man, they're in trouble because Olenek is closing out meaningful games for him." And while that's true, he's not bad. I mean, he's throwing a seventy-four, seventy-five mile an hour hook in the strike zone yeah. consistently, ninety-two mile an hour fastball. Like he's good, and they're going to need to use him. But it's the fact that they need to use him is probably just what it's, it's hard to, for people to get their head around. Yeah, the fastball velocity worried me a little bit. You remember early in the season he was eighty-nine to ninety-one, and he was eighty-five to eighty-seven on Saturday. Now some of that was probably he's still sick. Yeah, I think he and that from. I mean, he lost fifteen pounds. Yeah, that's a that's not nothing. And he didn't have 15 pounds to lose. Yeah, so for, for just backtracking, I'm sure most of you listening already know this, but he missed the Mississippi State Series. had a very, sounded like a fairly violent virus where he was bedridden for about four or five days, couldn't do anything, couldn't really walk, um, and lost 15 pounds. And he, he, he couldn't ever, he never really described what it was. He said he had flu-like symptoms, but it wasn't the flu. I don't really know. It didn't sound fun. We talked to him on Monday, I guess, before they went to Arkansas State. He did not look very good while he was out there practicing and like recovering. He still looked like, like he had been—I don't want to say like hit by a train, but you know that feeling like when you're not sick anymore, but you're still feeling the after effects. Yeah, that was that was yeah, definitely it. I mean, it was yeah. it was not great. And so, you know, velocity-wise, I imagine when you lose 15 pounds, it's going to mess some things up. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And you know, he'll probably regain that back and be fine. But I think. Look, okay, let's just play a hypothetical. Ole Miss is up 4-3 to three, uh, on Missouri tomorrow. Uh, Rhino Lennox, you don't even have to finish. You, you throw a Lennox. I think I throw Austin Miller if he's available. But, yeah. Uh, well, I was looking at the question, framing it from Olenek or Caracy. That was kind of the angle I was looking at. Because I'm assuming 4-3, Miller's already gotten the game to the ninth. Is kind of where I was going with that. Yeah, no, it's it's a Linux over Croatia at this point. But and, and here's here's the conundrum. 
Ole Miss isn't deep enough in the bullpen to just forget Caracci exists. They have to figure out something with him. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's really that's really the case with all of these guys. I mean, Caleb Hill, obviously, you could probably do without if if, if he struggles, but like. The rest of these guys, you have to have them. I mean, they're they're riding with the with the troops that they have, and it's kind of a scarce group. But like, so I guess spinning that forward into this discussion about the SEC tournament, so Ole Miss is the seven seed. They will play Missouri at one thirty on Tuesday. That continues my ridiculous run of never covering a night game in Hoover. I'm very proud of that. Um, Wait, you didn't cover the uh, Auburn game two years ago? So that's so that's the one hang up because that doesn't really count because that game was supposed to start at four, but there was a rain delay. Oh, okay. So I, I just or, starting at eight. No, four. I guess it was four thirty. It started a lot later, but like I've never covered a scheduled night game. And there you I, go. yeah, I know. I don't remember if they. Obviously, I didn't go to Hoover last year. I was in Cincinnati, but I don't remember if they did. They play uh, one last yeah. year. I, I was not plugged in for that run. They were all. Uh, they were one thirty. Let's see. They were one thirty, nine thirty, three, twelve, and then the championship at like one thirty. Yeah. They don't play night games anymore. Well, that kind of pokes a hole in my theory that it was because of me, but I'm still going to stick with that. Um, okay. So so they played the, the 1 o'clock game against Missouri. Um, Missouri is likely throwing Sycamore, I would imagine. T.J. Sycamore, no. who's... No? no way. I mean, he threw Friday. That's three days rest. He threw, like, a complete game on Friday. Are they in, though? I mean, I think they're in either way, but don't you? wouldn't you try with them to remove all doubt? I mean, I would have them available. Man, that's asking a lot for a complete game on Friday and then turn around on three days rest and throw again. So I know why they stacked it to throwing him on the second game during the regular season, but knowing kind of what position you may be in in Hoover, and I guess at that point they didn't know they were going to get swept yeah. by Florida, but why would you not throw him on Thursday? I get what you're saying, but it's kind of what you said. It's uh, they didn't. All they had to do was beat Florida once, and they were fine. Uh, they did not expect to get swept by Florida, so they are going to come in desperate. What I think they do is they'll, they'll start Jacob Cantleberry, who is the uh, they've been their Friday night starter for much of the year, and he shoved against Ole Miss and then gave up one run in seven innings. That's who I think they're going to throw. So, either way, Ole Miss is going to have its hands full because that was a series. I was Ole Miss's second SEC series of the year when they went to Columbia. They dropped two out of three, which at the time you're like, oh wow, they just dropped two out of three to Missouri after not sweeping Alabama. They're in trouble. Missouri turned out to be a fairly formidable team. I mean, there was talk this weekend that if they had swept Florida, they might have an outside shot to host. Oh sure, yeah. If they had yeah. gotten hot in the SEC tournament, obviously that didn't happen. They get swept by Florida, and really, I mean. That saved Florida's season. I don't want to say saved their season, but like that's that's the only like that was the only way they even had a glimmer of hope was to sweep. Well, you know what sucks for Florida is, is they sweep and they're like, all right, we have a shot in the tournament. You know, Ace Lacy was suspended last weekend, so he's starting for A and M tomorrow. So good luck with that. Yeah, they sh- they're going to earn that one if they get in there. Point being, Ole Miss did not score very many. What? How did they score? They scored six runs in that series. Is that seven? I think. I think they scored. They scored one on Friday, three on Saturday. I'm not sure what they scored on Sunday. And so Ole Miss actually, I mean, if you want to call it that, Ole Miss beat Sycama on that Saturday at series, but really Doug Nikhazy did. That was probably one of the best games he's thrown yeah. in an Ole Miss uniform. What I He threw seven innings, maybe seven and two-thirds innings, two-hit shutout ball, um, and that was Ole Miss's lone run lone win in the weekend, but the point being, Ole Miss had trouble against that Missouri pitching staff, and I'm, I mean, that could very well be a similar case on Tuesday. I would think so. They're, they're left-handed heavy, and uh, so they're going to run lefties at you galore. 
We'll see. Um, it's it's not a big deal for Ole Miss. You know, if you get beat, it's probably not the worst thing in the world. But, you know, I, I, this team probably needs to, at some point, win a few games to get some confidence about themselves. Yeah, so that, that, that was kind of the question. I got sidetracked with the, the Mizzou, Sycamore thing, and then them getting swept by Florida. But the, the question I was really trying to frame here is what seems to be, like, the big unknown here is how does Ole Miss handle Hoover? Because yeah. Mike has always played to win there in the past. There's really nothing at all they can gain from being there. I mean, they're locked in as a 2-3. to three. It Really, the 2-3 to three doesn't really matter that much either yeah. way. Like, they're not hosting. But at the they're, same time, do you not need to go play a couple games to see who you have in the bullpen to get guys out? Or to your point, gain confidence? Like, how do you handle this? Well, see, here's where I'm going to push back a little bit. I think if they wound up making it to Sunday, and I don't expect that, I think they would. I think they'd be in line to host. So I don't think they're dead. So I'm approaching it if I'm them that I need to go win a four games and get to Sunday. Because man, look, they've got 16 SEC wins right now. You win four more, that's 20. That's that's pretty loud. Um, but in saying that, this team doesn't have the pitching to do that. So I just kind of, I, I kind of like you said, I, I try to find guys that give me some outs um, because. More than likely, unless I go on some crazy run, I'm going to North Carolina or Stanford or somewhere next week. And Possibly I find, Atlanta, Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah. I got to find somebody to get me an out <laughs> besides Will Etheridge and Doug McKay. Um, I got to find some dude to get an out. And, and that's kind of what you got to find this week. Okay, so I guess we'll frame it this way Rank, give me three goals that they need to figure out this week. Winning a game can be one of them. I know that sounds simplistic. That sounds simplistic, but in in this, it it, it kind of is. I mean, it's not really simplistic with this team because one, they need to win to, like you said, if they get four or whatever and go crazy, they might have an outside chance. I think that's probably ship has sailed at this point. But one, to win a game to get confidence. Like two, to figure out like what you got because like if you if you win the single elimination game, you're guaranteed at least two more games to play with. So in order, what do like just give me three things they need to do. Um, they need to figure out what they're going to do, frankly, at second base with uh, Jacob Adams and then Justin Bench. One of those guys needs to take over that role. I don't think that those are two guys that you – I don't think you want to platoon your second baseman every day. Um, so I think one of those guys needs to take over that role and run with it. Uh, they got to find – they got to figure out what they're going to do in the closer's role. If that's Austin Miller, if it's Ryan Olenek, if it's Parker Grace, if it's Taylor Broadway, if it's Houston Roth, it doesn't matter. they got to figure out what they're going to do there. Um, thirdly, they need to get Greg Kester going. Yeah, he's had two pretty tough weekends, and I don't, I think, I don't think Greg's changed anything. I think he's just had some bad luck. Um, he didn't have, but I, I think we're like two for twelve this weekend. So they, they need him to get going. If his team's gonna have any prayer of going doing anything next week, so that's actually the other part of this. And we haven't really talked about the offense much because the pitching has been so well. Bullpen has been very putrid the last couple of weeks, but the offense in the month of May has not scored runs. No, no, it hasn't at all. I think it they have was, a team. I was watching SEC Network last night. I think they. I, I could be. I, I I meant to write this down, but I think they have a team 186 average in May. Oh dear God! Um, I I don't don't quote me on that. Actually, I'm going to make sure that's correct. I I was watching a, a Dari Noka and Dave Delucci on on a on like a highlight show last night, and they put it up like the numbers. From February to April, offensively, and then in the month of May, we're staggering. It may not be 186, but I'm about to double check that. Okay, 
Well, I just kind of think that, that they've got to figure out what they're doing on offense. Look, they scored 10 runs the past two games. That'll, that'll play in most SEC games. But with your pitching being what it is, I'm not sure if that's enough right now. I think you've got to go over there and hit and figure out a way to, to put six, seven, eight runs on the scoreboard because this offense is good enough to do that. I don't think you, can, you can't struggle on, on the offense like this team has if they want to do anything in the postseason. Yep, so I guess I'll give my three, and it's going to be kind of redundant because I think the one is figure out what you have in the bullpen. Like, look, you got to, if you have any, if they have any shot in the postseason, which that seems to be kind of dwindling in terms of an actual, like, tangible shot, you've got to find two to three guys that can get outs. I mean, you think you have Roth as one? You yep. got to figure out what's wrong with Miller and Caracy. Um, and, Good last weekend. That, that was kind of an untold story. Is, is he was good in two appearances, if I remember correctly. But they're not gonna, they're going to need three at least, and preferably oh, okay. four, because they've gone as a three-headed monster for most of the year, and it felt like they were just kind of trying not to come apart at the seams. Like yeah. for, for mo- particularly that month of April when they were playing better baseball, like it was fine. But like you kind of went, got through each weekend, you're like, man, that you know, I, I'm not really sure how they got through that with that bullpen. Out loud here, if they won on Tuesday, I'd start Parker Crazy on Wednesday. I got to figure out something. I got to. There's a lot lower leverage innings at the beginning of a game than there is at the end. I try to figure out something with that kid because you can't just throw him to the wolves. Yeah, and so like Mike is usually not one to do, not one that's susceptible to make radical changes because. It, I think he operates on the belief that there's some truth to this that obviously it's kind of a marathon, not a sprint. And like he goes with kind of the way the guys have been all year. But this is like a two, three week stretch where Crazy not been good. So I agree. But to to your what I was going to say, like to your point on that, he made dramatic changes to the lineup after they lost their fifth in a row on Thursday. Yeah. And so maybe he's opened up to that because that being him. In ni- I mean, with the 19-year sample size, to the contrary, him doing that and making that kind of drastic change, putting Dillard at leadoff and changing the lineup like that on the you know penultimate game of the regular season, that's telling, in some yeah. ways. No, I mean it is. Uh, I think I think he you know maybe deferred a little bit to Clement because I know uh, that, that he probably wanted to get Dillard up in the lineup for the rest of the, or for the, for a lot of the year, um, and and frankly, Saturday or Friday and Saturday was two of the better lineups in my opinion, all year. Um, and, and so, like you said, him moving Tiller to the uh, to the leadoff spot, maybe it's showing that he's, he's kind of open to new things. I say that, and he also bunted five times on Friday. Um, so, you know, who knows? But, but like you said, I mean, maybe he's at the point where you realize that Ole Miss has got to win baseball games and you probably can't keep doing the same stuff over and over again and expect a different result. So the second one I had was kind of – uh, like fix the offense just sounds simplistic. We kind of just hit it there, but you got to figure out something—a lineup that's going to produce. You got to get some guys going because they got to score more runs. Because if they're not going to get people out, they got to score runs. Because you know, if you're not getting people out and you're not scoring runs, tough to win games. That's the kind of breaking news you will only find on this podcast and nowhere else. Last major Brian Rick. Yeah, that's that is why that is why I got a master's degree for takes like that. So you're welcome. Number three, I think is gain confidence, like. I think like like Saturday in some ways felt like a waste not not a wasted game but like 
it didn't feel very consequential, but in some ways I had to imagine that helped their confidence because they hadn't lost six games in a row since 2013. There had to be some sense of relief there. So if you go to Hoover and you win two, three games before you get bounced, and granted, if you make it past the first day, it means you've probably lost twice Like when you're going home. But to your point, if you win a couple games, like like that's got to help them psyche-wise because I don't really know where this team's at psyche-wise. I think I'll find out a little bit maybe later today when we talk to them after practice in Hoover. But like, where are they at mentally? Yeah, no, that's a completely fair question because uh, you gotta, it, it, you're going to take a hit mentally. You lose six games in a row, three up being your rival, two up being to a Tennessee team that had not been good until you showed up. Particularly from uh, where you were. They were 15-9, and nine and this all just came tumbling down in a matter of like 12 days. Not even that long. Shit, a week. <laughs> like, like from Friday against Mississippi State to Friday against Tennessee, their season. That's a fair point. It's really like seven. I mean, you know, so it's it's gone it's gone haywire, and and I think that's just kind of the goal of Hoover is to get this thing turned around. Yeah, I gotta say, at fifteen and nine, I didn't really still like know what this team was, and in some ways, that's kind of like the perfect like like example of just how confusing they've been to cover and try to figure out but I did not have them losing 6 of 7 to close the year like this was kind of astonishing in some ways I had them playing a regional in Oxford at 15 and 9 even though if uh, even if I thought they were going to lose the series to state I didn't think there was any way they were going to go what 1 and 5 down the stretch in SEC games, one and six, if you obviously you throw in the Arkansas State game, yeah. but I agree. I mean, at fifteen and nine, like it was not ridiculous to say, okay, they probably pretty much locked up a host, not really, but like going three and three was not really like an arduous task. Like I thought that was kind of a baseline for what they were going to do. Even two and four and a win over Arkansas State, you're probably okay. Yeah, that's a fair point. So I don't know. It's been such a steep decline and such a steep fall off. It's just like, are they going to pick themselves back up? I mean, that's kind of cliche and it's really just going to come down to if they can score runs and get outs because they're not doing either very well right now yeah. but like and if are, are they going to mentally be able to pick themselves back up and you kind of mentioned it i guess it was on, on wednesday's podcast it was like you know is this how this is going to end yeah like, that's that's what I, I can't get past that is this really how this is going to end yeah, i mean this team is is extremely look i think you agree they're more talented than they've been playing i mean they're, they're not one in six uh, talent level uh, this, this it, it would shock me if this is how this ends with this team. Uh, they really like each other. They're good kids. They play hard. They're talented. I, I think there's something else left in the tank. But we'll see. And, and I think you're going to get a glimpse of that this week. Well, if there's something else left in the tank, it's going to have to be enough to do something they've never done under Mike Bianco, and that's get out of a regional on the road. I mean, that, that's really what this comes down to now. Like, Hoover's a nice tune-up to maybe work out some problems, maybe get some confidence, kind of the three things we just laid out a piece. But, like, really, this is about two weeks from now. I mean, it is. What happens? Yeah, if you're Mike, you got to manage it like that, right? Like, look, we, we've said on here that if, if they get to Sunday, they'll have an outside shot. But you don't manage this thing to get to Sunday, right? Like, obviously, you want to win a baseball game. You manage this so that you can go to Raleigh or somewhere and win next week. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, the like the hosting the, the hosting thing that still feels a little silly. I mean, it's it's worth pointing out that if they did go crazy and got to Sunday, maybe you're talking about a different story. But yeah, no, that's 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 sailed. Like you, that's you have to manage this. Like you, like you, to put your team in a position to kind of. Or at least have an idea of what you can do to go and try to win a series and win a regional on the road. Yeah, and you know what was crazy to me is is 
Gunner has been good, I guess, two of his last four appearances. And someone brought this to my attention. That I don't know if I necessarily agree with it or what. If you go to a regional next week and you don't trust anybody in that bullpen, really, you just say the hell with starting Nikhazy. And if you need to close the game out on Friday, you let him do it. Because, frankly, this team's not winning a regional through the loser's bracket. You, If you don't trust anybody to get out from the back end of that bullpen, don't you just use your best pitcher to close out a game at that point? At that point? Yeah, but then at the same time, like, what do you do when you get to the second game? Because to your point, they're not going to win through the loser's bracket, so you got to win two games to have a shot. Right. I mean, you do. I'm just – somebody was talking about that. But I guess it was the softball game. Is, man, if, if I go into Friday and I don't have any confidence in this bullpen, I'm not chancing losing. Like, if I have a 3-2 to two lead in the sixth, I'm not chancing losing a game trying to hold my best pitcher till Saturday. No, that's also fair as well. So, kind of putting a bow on that, yeah, a lot going on. A lot to figure out this week in Hoover. It'll be an interesting week, but really yeah. just the rubber's not going to meet the road in terms of like what, what this is actually going to be until two weeks. And yeah. We'll find out Monday where this team's going, and you'll know then. Yeah, transitioning to softball, Ole Miss won their regional in fairly dramatic fashion, so they got put in the loser's bracket after a 2 nothing loss to Louisiana Lafayette on Saturday. I think they're officially still trying to do the whole we're Louisiana thing. I'm just refusing to do that. Yeah, they're that. ULL. They're Louisiana Lafayette. Like, Sorry about it. Um, yeah, I wanted someone to get mad at me for calling it Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, that that's just I, I I don't I don't understand that. I get the I guess branding idea, but that that's dumb. Anyway, so they lose. They Ole Miss gets through the the Chattanooga one four game. They lose on Saturday two nothing to a Louisiana Lafayette team that was fifty and four. I guess they were fifty one and four when they played Ole Miss. That's a devilish two seed. I'm not really sure. Then they had a top twenty RPI. Like that's. That's a tough draw, and like even that Louisiana Lafayette coach was like, "Look, this isn't going to be fair for whatever one seed we get stuck in a regional with," and like that sounds conceited, at, like at, in in some ways, but I, th- I don't think he was wrong. No, he was right. Yeah, and so they go through the losers bracket, and then so they 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 win after they lose Louisiana Lafayette, they win again on Saturday against what Southeast Missouri, right? And then so that set up a Sunday to where you had to beat Louisiana Lafayette twice. This team's 52-4. and four. They had lost back-to-back games just once all year. They had a 29-game winning streak. Ole Miss wins the first game 5-1, to one, and then they won the second game on a walk-off 5-4 to four after they saw it blew a 3 to nothing lead, were down 4-3, to three, down to their last three outs, and rallied in the bottom of the seventh. I mean, they, they had a leadoff double. Colin Becker got an infield single. They tied the game on a squeeze play, which I thought was a hell of a move. I know that's not as uncommon in softball, but it was still very bold in my opinion. And then they won the game on a chopper up the middle. Um, So they are headed to a Super Regional, and boy, that that did not come easy. (laughs) No, it didn't. And and that was the interesting thing. is Look, they basically played a Super Regional this weekend against Lafayette because they run with Chattanooga and Southeast Missouri. Um, Those two teams really not on the level or near about the level that Ole Miss and ULL was on. So basically, it, it's kind of like they played the Super Regional this weekend and they back-ended it and advanced to Tucson. Yeah, and it was interesting because like I, I was just I was just curious like watching because I don't know a ton about softball. I'm not going to act like I've, I've, I've like covered it closely. But it was interesting to like figure out their mindset going into the day because like, what do you do trying to beat a team twice that's fifty-two and four? Like, that's that seems like 
Like, that seems like it'd be mentally draining as much as it would anything. But to their credit, Ole Miss jumps out to a 3-0 lead in the first game, holds on to win 5-1. That game was really never in much of a question because, you know, they, they pitched really well. Um, Jacobson pitch, pitched very well in that first game. Like, that was, was never much of a question. And then things really kind of got crazy in that second game. Ole Miss jumps out to a 3-0 lead. They scored two in the first, one in the second uh, in the top half of the second, Kylan Becker, who was nine for fifteen on the weekend, um, robbed what a would a would be game tying home run, like a two run shot, brought it back over the fence. She had a hell of a weekend. Um, and then in the fifth inning was really interesting. So they pitched Brittany Finney, Mike Smith, uh, ULL gets two on. Mike Smith elects to go to back to Jacobson, and the first batter she faced gave up a three run shot to tie the game. Really, the kind of air went out of the place. Then ULL scores another one in the sixth to go up 4-3. to three. And Ole Miss is down to its last three outs in its season and really didn't blink. I mean, they tied the game up before recording an out and then scored. I mean, it was very it was very quick how that seven inning turned. Like, they scored two runs very quickly to, to finish the thing off and extend their season. Yeah, I mean, uh, Allie had a shortstop hitting like 198 on the year. Yesterday, she hit the home run to get them. Uh, on the board in the first game, goes up one to nothing, then has the bat of the season. Um, in the second game, the seventh inning, she hits a double over the center fielder's head, gets to second. Uh, Becker hits the infield singer, gets on first and third. And, and, you know, I think after what was it, a strikeout, they laid down a suicide squeeze. Uh, it just, it was, it was a really good job by everyone. Um, they kind of just asked them to do what they, uh, they they've kind of done this all year, is, is they're kind of dramatic. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. They just kind of win games late, and, and they don't really flinch when they get down. They've been there before, and, and they're a team that, that's got a lot of confidence. And frankly, at this point, they've earned that confidence. And really, this I was just looking at this whole thing from a big-picture perspective. Like, yeah, what they did yesterday was incredibly hard to do. I felt bad for those kids from Louisiana oh, Lafayette a little bit, too, because like, that's probably a tough draw having to be a two-seed at 50-4, and four, like, they, I don't know much about got, softball, but they seemed very good. They got hosed a little bit, too. Um, the double play ball at second that they wiped off that Ole Miss eventually scored a run off of, uh, they missed that call. Um, in the first inning, Ole Miss gets thrown out at third, and they make a bad obstruction call. Um, if you're an Ole Miss fan, look, you, you take what you get because you've been robbed a few times, too. Um, but, yeah, if I'm ULL, I, was, I would have been a little upset with how yesterday went. Yeah, there was a lot of drama with the 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 umpiring. They so yeah. I, they so they did not have a good handle on that game. Both sides were arguing a lot. Both, I mean, sitting outside in that was quite interesting because we were on a table under the press box and just hearing fans screaming at the umpires for two games was quite entertaining. <laughs> they were screaming at each other too, weren't they? They were. There was some chippiness there. There was some arguing over who had what seats. I don't really know what was going on, but and then the ULL fans were wearing some sort of pepper on their head. Uh, <laughs> Some kind of rally thing. I don't know. Softball's got all kinds of like crazy traditions. Part of what makes it fun. But yeah, there was some chippiness in in the stadium for sure. Uh, two very like closely contested games. Uh, particularly that second one was 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 fairly wild. So good for them. I mean, Mike Smith five years ago he inherits a program. Never scored a run in the SEC tournament. Was the worst job in the SEC. Now they're going to their second super in five years or second super in three years really. But uh, same thing. Second in five since he's taken over. Right, and and you know, they're two games away from the women's college world series, which is just—I mean, I know obviously that being in a super regional entails that, but just saying that out loud is nuts to me. That this program is two wins away from going to the women's college world series. Yeah, and that team really kind of embodies Smith. Like they play hard, they scrap, they play, 
Like, this te his teams have changed a little bit since the first year. Like, he didn't inherit much power, so they played a lot of, like, small ball run and gun the first couple of years. And that's changed a little bit, but there's still a lot of that in him. Like, they run balls out hard. They do, like, I mean, he tried to win the game with the squeeze play, too. They tied the game on a squeeze, then he tried the same right. thing. He tried to win. It didn't work, but, like, he tried He tried to win the game originally on a squeeze play. And, like, right. they play hard, and they embody him in that sense, and he's obviously he's done – He's done a hell of a job. So they're headed to Tucson, Arizona to play Arizona in a super regional. I think that begins on Friday. I'd never actually looked that up. I think it'll begin on Friday or Saturday, one or the other. So good for them. It was an entertaining series. They had a hell of a day yesterday. That's not an easy thing to do to beat that type of team twice in a day. Uh, I mean, they really won three games in a span of about 26 hours. Yeah, yeah. Um like you said, it was it was impressive feed. Glad the rain held off. They were worried about that on Saturday. Was uh, they were worried about they were going to have to push this thing to Monday because the rain, the forecast did not look good going into Sunday. Yeah, I felt a couple of raindrops at the end when that game was in the seventh inning, and I was like, if this rains now, I'm probably going to jump off the side of this side, <laughs> this uh, this stadium. So glad that worked out. Um, elsewhere, really, just around, you had Brooks Kepka win the PGA. Um, pretty much wire to wire. He made four straight bogeys on the back nine yesterday, and that thing already got that thing got down to one shot at one point. Dustin Johnson got within one shot, then kind of faded with a couple bogeys. Uh, Kepka's a machine. He has four. He has five wins on United States soil as a professional golfer, and four are majors. That's really that's never really like I don't think that's ever been done. I mean, I know that's never been done before. That's that's really just kind of absurd. I was going to say that is absurd uh, to, to only – I respect that, though. You only won majors. Well, that's that's his whole shtick. He doesn't care, and he wants you to know he doesn't care. Like, he doesn't get up for smaller tournaments because he doesn't care. I mean, he went on that Pardon My Tank podcast earlier in the week and was like, yeah, I get so bored during golf. It should be 15 holes. The holes 5 through 12, I don't even really know what's going on. I just forget about it because I'm so bored. And he's just waxing the field. I mean, yeah, he came back to earth on Sunday, but that – those first three rounds were as machine-like and just as methodical as I've ever seen. And like you kind of, when Rory, when Rory's been at his peak, he kind of has a level that a lot of other guys can't touch. DJ has it a little bit too. Like Rory, at when he won his first major at Congressional, I guess at that U.S. Open, really just lapped the field on a golf course that was sopping wet. It was like not taking anything away from him, but it wasn't a normal U.S. Open setup because the course was swamp uh, drained. But Bethpage Black is a former U.S. Open course. Like, you had Paul Casey talking about needing a therapy dog after playing the end of that course. Like, it is a mental and physical grind. Like, it's it's as close to a U.S. Open setup as you'll find that's not a U.S. Open. And Kepka just destroyed that golf course and destroyed the field in the process. I've never seen – like, I've never really seen anything like that so consistently. He's won four of the last eight majors he's played in. That is ridiculous. I didn't realize that. It's ridiculous. No, no. He's a machine. He's one of those the Masters? No, so he's won two U.S. Opens and two PGAs. He's won the last two U.S. Opens and the last two PGAs. He did not – I believe he missed the first – I believe he missed the Masters last year. He, he had an injury where he had to come back two years ago. And oh, so he okay. missed a couple before the last 80s played in. Good God. That's impressive. Um, you know, look, I'm, I'm nowhere near a golf aficionado, but it does seem like those, those courses uh, in the U.S. outside of the Masters are pretty tough to play. And like you said, he, he kind of blitzed the field the whole weekend. Yeah, and it was interesting watching his press conference yesterday when it got down to one stroke that New York crowd was fairly rowdy and they started chanting Dustin Johnson. Because, like, you know, when you, you had a guy lead all week, like, it's nothing against Kepka, but when you've had a guy lead all week wire to wire and you've seen literally no leaderboard change, like, obviously you're rooting for the guy to come from behind. But he said when they started chanting DJ's name, that really kind of fueled him. And he was like, 
such a power move. He goes, I don't know if I've ever made four bogeys in a row ever. And then he was like, then they started chanting that, and I was able to settle down. I was like, that was the sickest humble brag of all time. He got he got unbored when they started chanting Dustin Johnson's name. Yeah, so he wins, and like everyone loves comparing people to stuff. But like I just I would if you like golf, I would just encourage you just to enjoy how dominant this is, because like you don't have to compare it to Tiger Woods. You don't really have to compare it to anybody else. Like you haven't seen this in a while from anybody. You haven't seen this since really Tiger Woods in the early two thousands. Just a guy dominate the game like he has, and it's it's been something to watch. I like Kepka's grown on me. I didn't really like him at first. I thought he was kind of a wet wet blanket, like he didn't really have much personality. But his personality's kind of come out the more he's won, and I really kind of like the guy. Like like I kind of respect the fact that he's like, yeah, I don't really care, but I'm just gonna dominate this and then go home and collect my paycheck. <laughs> Which yeah, like you said, I kind of respect that. Yeah, he's like trolling everybody. Like so. So he lost. So he. I don't know if you saw this, but he lost a bunch of weight before the Masters for like some kind of body edition. It may have been Sports Illustrated, it may have been ESPN magazine or something else. I don't know, but he lost a bunch of weight, and he wasn't playing particularly well. And golf analyst slash hot take artist Brandel Chambly works for the Golf Channel, called it one of the greatest self sabotages of all time. And then he finished in the top five at the Masters and then just destroyed the field at the U.S. Open. And so after the Thursday round of the U.S. Open, Chambly said, I felt like he was giving me the middle finger for four and a half hours. And really, oh. like, yeah, I love that. But really, that's what he feels like he's doing to everybody. Because he's going to destroy the golf course. He's going to relap the field. And he's going to let you know he doesn't care how bad he's doing it. <laughs> uh, so the... That was the PGA, so the U.S. Open or the British Open? U.S. Open in June. So the PGA, they just, I, I can't decide if I like it or not. So the PGA used to be in August. The PGA is kind of the forgotten major. Like the U.S. Open has its, like the Masters has its mystique. The U.S. Open has the mystique of being the hardest tournament on earth to win because they make the golf course so hard it just beats these guys into submission. Uh, and then the British Open obviously is is kind of its own deal because it's so different. The PGA doesn't really have like a shtick, like it, it doesn't really have like an iconic thing that people look forward to. And so they thought about moving it to May to maybe like you know compact the schedule, maybe a little different. I kind of liked it better. It still didn't really do much for me. And maybe part of that is just because of Kepka lapping the field and there not being a ton of drama. But I like it better then. So yeah, now you have the U.S. Open. Yeah, second week of June, I believe, then you'll have the British Open in July, and then the season's done, essentially. I mean, you'll have, like, the FedEx Cup playoffs and all that, but major season's over now in July. Yeah. Uh, Toronto got, got got a win last night. They did. Double overtime. I was watching some of that on my computer at the softball field. Obviously, I think Milwaukee's going to win that series, but, like, they still got a puncher's chance, like, Toronto does obviously if you lost that you're down 3-0 you're probably looking at two sweeps honestly because the Western Conference Finals is over yeah like you said I, I kind of think that I, I think the Eastern Conference series is kind of over too because it took every bit of their soul to win that game yesterday Giannis uh, was terrible too and it went to double overtime Giannis was awful yeah and he fouled out in I think the first overtime I, mean, it, I think he had I 12 points which is insane yeah, I don't think I don't think that things go in six games. I think uh, Milwaukee wins game four and game five, and that series is done. Yeah, like a part of me just for dramatic effect really hopes that uh, Toronto wins and evens it 2-2 because I think Milwaukee's still going to win the series. But just get it to six or seven. Let's have some drama. Because to the Raptors' credit, they are actually a different team. Like everyone's like, I don't believe in the Raptors. They failed in the playoffs so many times. Kawhi makes them a different team. Like he's the best two-way player on earth. Like they're – they're tough to put down, but I think what this has done is Kawhi being on that team has showed just 
that supporting cast is not that good. And like Kyle Lowry and DeRozan when they were together, like they're not very good. They're two shorter guards that struggle to create their own shot. Like, like, like Kawhi is really doing it with not a ton of help. Like it's a bunch of guys that aren't 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 very good. Like even Kyle Lowry, I mean, he had one game and and they lost that game at Milwaukee where he dropped like thirty. But like, I don't know. The, the supporting cast is very underwhelming to me. Yeah, no, and, and that's completely fair. Uh, Kawhi pretty much willed him to a victory yesterday, and, and I don't know how often he's going to be able to do that, especially, you know, assuming Giannis isn't awful again, and I don't fear he will be. Um, yeah, I, that series to me just kind of, yesterday kind of, look, I know they lost the game, but I, I, I don't really know how uh, Toronto stays in this series, frankly. Yeah, and the other one's over, too. So apparently yeah. uh, Damian Lillard is hurt. He has a separated rib. I'm not sure how much it would have mattered. He hasn't been very good in this series. Obviously, you can see why. They've had a hell of a run. Like, this was kind of their year to get to the conference finals and be like, hey, we've arrived. But I think I saw – I can't remember who wrote this yesterday, but I was reading some column from that series, and it was like, look, they're just running into an opponent that no one was going to beat. I mean, this Warriors team is ridiculous. And I, like – I don't ever want anyone to get hurt, but KD's injury has kind of reminded you – one, how good Golden State was before KD showed up, and they're a lot more fun to watch without Kevin Durant. Like this, the the Clay Thompson, like the, the the Splash Brothers throwback with him and stuff, they are way more fun to watch. In this version of them, like I can't wait for Kevin Durant to leave because <laughs> they're probably still going to compete for a title like they are this year. Yeah, I, I think they'll with... probably still win the West next year, but they they're a lot more fun to watch doing it. Like the running gun three ball stuff. Like, Durant, like, he's he's a hell of a player. He's probably the best player in the NBA. But, like, he just kind of clogs it up because he requires so much attention on offense. But when they're free-flowing like that, I think this version of them is a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, they're a bunch of guys that can just run and shoot, and that's a lot more fun to watch. And they really defend. I mean, they're, they're, they're underrated defensively to me. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun team without Durant. And, you know, I know, obviously, like you said, he's one of the best players in the world. It's not the best. Um, but without him, I mean, they're still really good, and they're a lot more uh, they're a lot a lot more easy to like without him. Yeah, they are, and what it, it almost like makes me mad, like more mad now that he's out. In the sense that, like, they were a seventy three win team. Like, this team did not need Kevin Durant. All he did was upset the competitive balance of the league for four years, and very unnecessarily. And look, I'm not gonna like fault the guy for making a decision that's best for him. Like, he scores the easiest thirty points a game there is. He's got two titles back to back. Finals MVPs. I'm not faulting him for that, but the idea of him going there bothers me just because, like, they, like you're looking at now, they didn't need him. He's a luxury. He's not a necessity in, in in any way. Like this team is dismantling the best teams in the NBA without the the best player in the world. <laughs> Which is nuts. Uh, just absolutely nuts. But yeah, I mean, and they, they're not probably not going to have it the rest of the series. They'll win it. I don't really know if this game is going to even go back to uh, Oakland. I think this probably ends in Portland tonight. Probably. I'd like to see Portland get one just so they'll feel better about themselves. They had a hell of a run. And they're the, we've talked about it before, but they're the classic example of, like, everyone's so eager to, like, break, like, blow things up and start over. And I was listening to Ryan Russillo and uh, Woj on a podcast not too long ago, and they brought up a really interesting point. It's like... Everyone's obsessed in the NBA right now with like having assets and draft picks and stuff that like whenever you're like 
you know, in the middle ground of winning, you know, 45 games a year like the Blazers have been doing. They're like, blow it up. It's like, why do you want to blow it up? Like, what are the odds if you get two lottery picks that you're going to find two players as good as C.J. McCollum and uh, and Damian Lillard? Like, very not, little. Not yeah, not good. And, like, how do you sell that to your fans? Because, like, going to the Western Conference Finals and getting that, like, that many extra home games, like, that's fun. Like, like no one's beating this Warriors team, so why, like, blow it up if you're not? Like, they they could potentially wait it out, and if the Warriors ever do kind of, like, like, I'm even talking about, like, maybe Clay Thompson or someone else eventually leaving. Like, there's a window for the Blazers to compete there because they have two of the best guards in the NBA. They're just like, up against a generational dynasty. I mean, and you're right. You, you don't just throw everything to the wolves because it doesn't work for a few years because you're up against the best team in, in NBA history. Um, so it's, it, yeah, I don't figure they'll blow it up anytime soon. They'll wait it out. You know, look, without KD, maybe you can eventually beat these guys once. Um, so I, I think that's going to be interesting. Maybe Rob will the ball and run forward. Yeah, it's like KD leaving, and everyone seems to think him to New York is a done deal. And so, like, to your point, yeah, so like you just wait it out and see. Like you think the Warriors are still probably the class of the West even without Kevin Durant, but at least it leaves the possibility open of like right. someone else coming in. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. The what the these series have kind of been kind of a like this final series has been kind of a dud. You kind of figured it would be that way, particularly in the West when the Rockets dropped to a four seed, because like that was pretty much the NBA Finals, or at least the Western Conference Finals. It was just played in the semis. So, I don't know. I hope that Toronto-Milwaukee gets more interesting just so we'll have something to watch. But you're headed towards the Milwaukee-Golden State Finals. That'll actually be kind of interesting, particularly if Kevin Durant's not back and Giannis is the biggest guy on the floor. Like, yeah. that'll be kind of interesting. The Warriors will still probably win, but I've, it'll be interesting to at least see what that looks like. What else? I didn't even, like, I don't think we missed anything. Like, anything else interesting uh, go on this weekend? No, nah, the MLB's in the doldrums of the season. That's pretty much it. yeah. It's wedding season. I got to go to another one in a month. That that's interesting. Yeah, no, I'm at like we're at that age now where people are getting married on purpose. Yeah, not us. Yeah, you know, just so, so wait, when, when when's your when's your wedding this month? Uh June, I think. So maybe oh. I, I lied. It's next month, but within oh. a month. So well, up to yeah. the side, you couldn't go if the Rebs make Omaha. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to have to worry about that one, but I reckon we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, but I, th- I feel fairly confident, at least at this juncture, that I'm safe on that. Um, so, yeah, so when are you headed to Hoover? Uh, probably in the morning. I may go tonight. I haven't decided yet. Nice. I'm headed there as soon as we get done recording this podcast. Um, so. Are you staying at the hotel that we stayed at a few years ago where they had happy hour from 2 to 4 and just gave us free beer? Yes, the Embassy Suites. I believe that is the same hotel. I'll have to investigate for sure once yeah. I get there. But, yes, I'm fairly certain that will be the same hotel. Uh, that's always a plus, particularly catching a day game. Might play some golf over there, too. Who's to say? I really like – like, people always complain about the SEC tournament being at Hoover. They're like, there's nothing like to do. I like it. One, moving it to Memphis is not – we were talking about this the other day. Me- moving it to Memphis is not feasible because no. that ballpark is tailor-made for that event. Where are you parking at Memphis? Exactly. And at Hoover, there's literally just a wasteland of parking. Like, there's literally nothing but parking. There's nothing around that stadium. It's just – what? how big do you think that parking lot is? Half a mile? Uh, is that yeah, exaggeratory? I, no, I've gone – look, I've gone to this thing because I, I, it was my birthday present going up because I would go to Hoover and watch on this play. I have gone to this thing probably 15 to 16 years now and once, one time, 
have I not been able to find a parking spot. Um, so, and, and there are some obscene crowds over there when LSU and Ole Miss are there. So, uh, it, from a logistics standpoint, there's nowhere else that makes more sense than Hooper. No, and like the press, yeah, you're right, because the press box is gigantic. It can house that much media. They have those wings on the right, left, where they can do the SEC network and the radio and all that. You have that building they built behind it that's perfect for the fanfare. The parking is literally just, like, that's the most spacious parking lot I've ever seen. Like, it's literally the stadium and then just rows and rows and rows of parking. Like, there's nothing else around it. And to your point, like what we were talking about, you can't move that anywhere. Like you can't move that to Memphis. In Memphis, the press box isn't big enough. There's no parking. Like you can't do the fanfare. Like there's no way to fit all of that in Memphis. What are you, what are you solving by moving it to Memphis? Like what were you getting at? Because it, because people like it, it. It's the it's the like I I like I I don't mean this like derogatory. It's the more like social party attitude. Because to their point, like. Hoover's just got a bunch of just stuff around it. Like, it's a lot of, like, strip malls and chains and stuff. And, like, Memphis, you have Beal and all that and probably a better restaurant selection. So that's what people are talking about. But logistically, it's just not it's just not feasible. Like, that, that, that event is tailor-made for it. It's a perfect venue. Like, you just you can't move it to Memphis. So the only reason okay. to move it to Memphis is people are saying there's just more stuff to do. Same kind of with the argument for Nashville. But I just I don't see how you can fit it there. Yeah, like the closest. I mean, it got kind of close a couple years ago, but then once that no, really never gained momentum, it's it's probably to your point never leaving. Yeah, I mean they they acted like they were moving that thing just so Hoover would do some things to their stadium, and they're like, ah, oh, never mind. I always enjoy that trip, particularly Ole Miss gets a day game. You get to cover the game. You can go out, eat dinner, whatever. Maybe play some golf in the morning. I really enjoy going over there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Ole Miss will probably be over there. I don't know. I, I, I think they win tomorrow. Do you? Um, I'll conservatively say yes. I think so. Um, I'll yeah, be there till Friday, regardless. We're doing radio there through Friday, so yeah. So you can still go, anyways. Yeah, so that's good because I'll I'll be able to appropriately pack because I've gone over there today a couple like a couple times. And been like oh, I'll only be here till Thursday, then Saturday morning. I'm like, what clothes am I gonna wear? Um, well, what, what happens if what happens if they get to Sunday, right? Um. Washing clothes. I might have to find a washing machine, I guess. You know what? I'll pack for Sunday. I'll be bold. <laughs> if you've been covering it last year, you probably thought they'd have been out by Thursday, too. Because they lost on Wednesday. Oh, look, those dudes are there on Sunday. That's right. I forgot about that. So, we'll see. Um, so, we'll be back at it Wednesday unless you got anything else. Uh, we'll be back at it from Hoover. Um, we'll have to figure out that setup. But, yeah, we'll have, our next podcast will be from Hoover. Um, so we appreciate you listening and we'll be back at it on, oh, we have to remember this week to do the questions. We, we slacked off on that last week. Okay. So we'll be taking your question submission. You can text, email, tweet, whatever uh, questions you have for Wednesday's podcast, shoot them our way and we'll fire away on Wednesday. We're going to send the, uh, the, the tweets out during the Ole Miss game tomorrow because that's when everybody's on Twitter. They get on Twitter and yell. Yeah, mostly be angry, so that might be fun. So we'll have that on Wednesday, and we appreciate you tuning in. For Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Rippey. We'll be back at it then. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.